We are discussing that issue of worry in much, uh, much of the text this morning, and I read a poem in my studies that really sums up the issue of worry. poem simply reads, Worriers feel every blow that never falls, and they cry over things they never lose. For some here this morning, you remember a time where you live that way. For some of us, that's where we are right now. Jesus is dealing with our faith in this passage. And the question is, and we're going to be honest, is will we trust God to provide for us? Will we trust His, His hand in providing? Or will we doubt and think that it is up to us to do what only God has promised to do? It's a struggle we all have. And I will be honest with you this week, or this morning, this week has been a hard week. I needed this passage because guess what I found myself doing often? Worrying about simple, basic things. It's a reminder to me that I cannot provide even what I think that I can on my best, on my best days. We need God every moment. So as I preach this morning, see me as a fellow struggler. Jesus is the one who is the master in this area. He's the teacher. There, there is grace this morning, and so while it has been a hard week of evaluation of my own life, one theme kept coming up. There is grace available to us through Christ. So if you're a fellow struggler in this area, rest in the truth that God will give you grace. And His grace is greater than our sin. We cannot use God's grace as an excuse to worry, but it is always a comfort. And so let's look here, as, as we see Jesus dealing with the lusts of the flesh, He is looking at the distress of our human hearts this morning in verses 22 to 34. He begins, first of all, with a principle in verses 22 to 23. Then Jesus said to His disciples, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or nor about the body, what you will wear. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. This principle is very similar to the principle you saw in verse 15 last week, where Jesus says that one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. Life is more than money. Life is more than food. Life is more than clothing. So we see the principle. The word worry means to have anxious concern based upon the apprehension of possible danger. It hasn't happened yet, but we're worried about it. It's coming. We don't know when we turn that corner. What's around the corner? That's worry. We should recognize that worry is common for all people. Kent Hughes says, when you load the troubles you are anticipating upon the troubles you are currently experiencing, you make your burden unbearable. What Jesus is dealing with is basic human needs, food and clothing. Now remember, we're talking about first century Israel. We don't have prosperity. We don't have grocery stores. We don't have factories that produce clothes at cheap rates. 
Food and clothing were serious concerns. And so as we look this morning, the basic needs were ones that people worried about often. And so Jesus is addressing those issues. But the the principle is very simple. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. The word more here means that it's far greater. There's There's a greater purpose to our life than eating and having good clothes. We must look here at the nature of worry. The question is, is worry, is all worry sinful? Now, some will shame people who worry to the point of fear. I, I know there are ministries that ha- they, they will boast and say, no one comes and talks to me about worry. And if they're really honest, it's because they shame it so much, no one would ever come forward and say, I struggle in the area of worry because they're afraid they're going to be what? Shamed. Listen, we all struggle with worry. It's common. It's just, it's just a, a, a natural reality. But then there are others who will say, ah, no, worry's no big deal. We all do it. So therefore, don't worry about worry. But the reality is, worry can take our eyes off of Jesus and put it on something else. Anything that takes your eyes from Jesus will cause you to sin. And so we must take it seriously. We must take this seriously. But remember again, my fellow strugglers, there's grace. And so I will preach this passage like I will preach any other passage. I've had to preach this to myself all week. But I will do so with love in my heart and concern for your soul. But we must hear the truth this morning. When we come to this text, I want to remind us that Peter gives us a very good reminder in 1 Peter 5, 7 that we are to cast all our care upon Christ, for he cares for us. So we have seen that principle of life is more than food and clothing. Look at the the precedent that he sets with two simple examples of birds and flowers. Jesus said to his disciples, Consider the ravens. For they neither sow nor they reap, which, they have, which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? If you then are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothed the grass, which, which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? First example is that of the ravens. Now ravens were not birds that people were, took kindly to. They were considered unclean and filthy. But Jesus is saying, I want you to look at the ravens, observe their behavior, and learn something from it. Ravens are not farmers. They don't build barns. They don't store up. And yet, God feeds them. I want you to make sure you, keep, you catch that truth. God feeds the birds. And if he feeds the birds, he will feed us. Jesus asked that rhetorical question, Of how much more value are you than the unclean raven? 
Luke 20, 12, 7 says the very hairs of your head are all numbered. If God will care for the unclean raven, what will he do for the pinnacle of his creation? He asks another question. Which of you, by worrying, can add a cubit to his stature? Now, he uses the, this the cubit to his stature as a figure of speech, and the, uh, the ESV uh, puts the, the, the right phrase here. It says, which of you, by worrying, can add one hour to his life? You can't even add an hour to your life by worrying. So why, why are you bothering with all the other stuff? Jay Adams says, worry can't change anything except you for the worse. See, many of us are tempted to believe the lie that if I don't worry about this, it won't get done. How often do we get ourselves into trouble because we put more value on something here on earth than it really deserves? Would your family say that they are in trouble with you because of what they do or because of the things you worry about? Uh, that was a, a point of examination for me this week. Why do I get upset with my children? Now, they're rascals. Don't get me wrong. I love them to death. They're good kids, but they can be rascals. But are they really in trouble because of what they do or because of how I worry and what I'm concerned about? Jesus moves on to that second example, and he tells us to consider the lilies. These flowers don't have sewing machines. They don't spin, and yet they are beautifully clothed. Jesus says their beauty is God-given. Solomon, all of his glory, that word glory means the quality of splendid and remarkable appearance. As try as he might, Solomon couldn't outdo the flowers. Flowers simply grew by God's grace. They come up and they're beautifully adorned. See, Solomon's splendor was great, but he couldn't outdo God's provision. Solomon couldn't make himself more beautiful than the lilies. See, we might think that with technology, we can do more. We might be able to do more than what some could, but we can't outdo God. We might, we might think that because of the medical advances, that we really are something. And yet all healing comes from God. I think COVID has done a really good job to show us just how futile our efforts are against something that God desires to stay around for a while. Jesus ends the argument here with a logical argument. If God clothes the grass, which is here today and gone tomorrow and thrown in the oven, for them to bake bread, that's how they would bake bread, how much more will God clothe you? Consider this perspective of God clothing the grass. If he's concerned for something that is here for a short time, how much more for those who are made in the image of God? And yet we worry. Where will it come from? Where will I get it? And he brings out those words that we must deal with. You of little faith. This shows that faith is the issue when it comes to worry. Now, you have to be careful here because I do not want to shame anyone, but the reality is we must consider our faith. Do we believe God will do what he says he will do? See, we worry about the details of life, 
because our faith is weak. We don't believe God will do what he said he will do. We don't take Hebrews 13.5 seriously. I am with you. I will never leave you. Well, if God is with us, will he not give us the strength for the day? Yes, he will. And this is not the only time, by the way, that he tells the disciples that they have little faith. Here, uh, the, the tone is, is much more encouraging than it is in Matthew 8.26, where he says, Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? And he rises and rebukes the sea and the wind, and all is calm. There it was more of a rebuke. Here it is, come, recognize the truth here. Do not worry. Your God has you. Now what does Jesus mean by little faith? He is talking about faith that deals with the problem of worry is insufficient. We're not talking about saving faith. Remember, faith the size of a mustard seed saves. But here we are looking at, will God do what he says he will do? And that is the reason we worry. Because, you know, God has failed so many times before. He, he has, he has, we've accomplished so much with our own worries. In our frenzied state, you know, we've made so many lives better. Because when they leave us and we're in a stress, we're a ball of stress, they go, man, I really love that guy. But see, just because you accomplish your task when you're in a frenzied, stressful state does not mean you have given yourself the ability to complete the task. That is God's grace in you in spite of yourself. See, God gave you the strength, and by worrying, you're seeking strength from yourself to do or get what God has promised to give or help with. It's It's a faith issue. Leon Morris, very helpful statement here. He says, greed can never get enough. Worry is afraid it may not have enough. Very closely connected. Ken Hughes says, worry is the emotional reward of being preoccupied with material possessions. I like what David Garland says, logic and reason are no guarantees to rid our hearts of worry. Only Jesus can do that. So we have seen the principle and the precedent. Let's consider the prescription that Jesus gives in verses 29 to 31. And do not seek that what you should eat and what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after. And your Father knows that you need these things. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. So we see the prescription. It's really just the instruction that Jesus gives. Let's first of all look at what we are not to do. We are not to seek after what the world seeks. The world is looking for all the same things. They're worried about food. They're worried about clothing. They're worried about where they're going to get their next meal. They're worried about pleasures. Now, this does not mean that we are to be that we're not to be proactive in the provision. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But it does mean that we are not to seek food and drink to attain favorable circumstances, to have a storehouse of this and put your faith in the storehouse. Because we know that storehouses can be, stole, can be, can be robbed. 
Jesus is saying we are not to make food or drink or any other of our basic needs the object of our search. There are greater things. Life is more than food. The body is more than clothing. And so when we make the temporal things the most important issues, we end up having an anxious mind. And that word anxious mind simply means this. We're putting too much value on the things of this world. And so we end up having an anxious mind. James 1.8 calls this man a double-minded man. And he is unstable in all his ways. Now, how often do we put too much value on the thing of this world, right? I mean, we put a little bit of value on the election in November, didn't we? A little bit. We put a little bit of value in, in our sporting events, right? We put a little bit of value on all kinds of different issues. See, when we find ourselves worrying... The most beneficial question that you can ask yourself, and the question that helped me this week so much, is simply, is this of more value than Jesus? If this never changes, but I have Jesus, can I be content? If I get this, or if I've got this done, if I get this possession, will it satisfy my heart eternally? That helps us with worry. And really, that's, that's the grenade in the war on worry. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Is he enough? In fact, Jesus says the world makes too much of these issues. And it says that the world is seeking after these issues. Its desire to have something is great. And, and the implication in the word here is there's effort already being done to carry this out. They're already seeking for all of these issues. The world is never going to be satisfied by their pursuits of worldly things. And so the world is often left stranded, hanging on to a broken raft in the middle of a hurricane. Why is it that the world is always seeking the next latest and greatest? Why is it that when something terrible happens in the world and and one of their heroes falls, they just leave him in the dust and move on to something else because they're looking for something that people and the issues of this world can never deliver. And they don't want to have to deal with the reality of bad feelings and sin. Jesus says that your father already knows you need these things. What great comfort. The word knows here, speak, he knows all the information. And there's nothing about you God does not know. There's no need that you have, he doesn't know. There's nothing that he, that he has to learn about you. He knows you. And so he will meet all of our needs. Not necessarily our wants, but our needs, yes. Now, at this point, we can fall into two ditches. We can become lazy and think, well, if God's going to provide all my needs, I'll just sit back, watch TV, and wait for Him to deliver food to my door. Now, I find that kind of funny in the light of groceries being delivered. But you still have to go and do that. Order it. But see, some people want to become lazy and then think, well, then God will just take care of me supernaturally. That goes against everything that we know about God and the world that he has set up goes against the rules. 
God does give help, but guess what? He also gives responsibility. Second, though, we can be obsessed with our needs and become a workaholic. Listen very carefully. Both ditches will wreck your life. Do not worry over these issues. What then is the answer? Jesus gives the answer in verse 31. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. The same word seek is used in verse 31 that is in verse 30, which means there's already to be an active search in this area. Church, are you seeking the kingdom of God this morning? I mean, the reality is our world has failed. Our our world has failed in so many different ways. There, there, are, there are so many different ways out there where, where people in power are hypocrites, where they don't keep their word, where they simply fail. They try to do what they say and they can't do it. We should be seeking the kingdom of God. I want to be very specific about what Jesus means about seeking the kingdom of God. See, every kingdom that's filled with people has a king to rule over it, a ruler to rule over it. Who's the king of the kingdom of God? Jesus Christ. So therefore, who are you to be seeking? Jesus. Seek Jesus. And guess what? All these things will be added out of God's gracious provision. But there is more to life than food and more to life than clothing. The goal of our life is to find Jesus and be satisfied in Him. What does this look like? It looks like Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. See, God is not going to deny a spiritually hungry person who comes to him to be filled. He won't do that. It also looks like 1 Timothy 4, 8, where Paul says, For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having the promise of this life that is now, and that which is to come. Now, some of you know that I love exercise. I love to work out. I love to lift weights. I love to eat, well, I shouldn't say I love to eat healthy. I eat healthy. <laughs> I really enjoy those little extra snacks. My wife is always on me. But see, I, I can put greater effort into that aspect and, and lose weight and be healthy and build muscle and, and look like the, this, this perfect specimen of humanity. And guess what? This body dies. There is benefit in exercise and working out and eating healthy. I encourage you to do it. But there's greater benefit in fighting for godliness and seeking first the kingdom of God and finding Jesus. To help with the perspective here, remember what Daniel 7.18 says, The saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever and ever. See, our life is a vapor. And what we do in this time of the vapor is vitally important. See, we're going to live forever, either with God in heaven or apart from God in hell, experiencing only His wrath. That vapor... Very, very important. And so some will think about life as a vapor, and guess what happens to their worry? Through the roof. So much to do, so little time. But if you're seeking Jesus, all these things are added unto you. And God provides. 
See, the, the, when Jesus states that all these things are added, that's a promise. But notice there's no timeline guaranteed here. He does say they're going to be added. But verse 31 is not about prosperity. Jesus is not promising to make you rich or to make you comfortable or to keep you at ease. He is talking about your basic needs being met. It will be added. So why do we worry? Well, we want more than we already have. And we're not satisfied with what we do have. What is the remedy? It is faith that God will provide as he has promised. I love J.C. Ryle's words on this passage. He says, The man who seeks first God's kingdom shall never lack anything that is for his good. He may not have so much health as some. He may not have so much wealth as others. He may not have a richly spread table or royal dainties. But he shall always have enough. Important words for us to remember. Jim Elliot, in his, fav- his famous quote, He is no fool to who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That is a man who sought first the kingdom of God. So we have seen the principle, the precedent, and the prescription, and now we are challenged to have the right perspective in verses 32 to 34. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourself money bags, which do not grow old. A treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Perspective is very important here. See, Jesus is calling us to be encouraged. First of all, he uses that word, little flock. He's talking to the small number of people who are trusting in Jesus at this time. John 10, 16, he says, And other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring. So his little flock is going to grow. And certainly it is continuing to grow. But I want you to understand what it means to be part of the flock. You're not the shepherd. It's not your job to provide. That's promised to you. If you consider Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in need. He provides for me. Jesus is the good shepherd, and you will never be a better shepherd than him. You will never provide better than he will. You will never protect yourself or others better than he can. You are a part of the flock. Do you have faith that God will do what he said he will do? Jesus goes on to say that it is God's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. This is, this is a reminder that in the, in the coming days, yes, we are part of the kingdom now, but there's going to be a day where we are going to be in the kingdom with Jesus forever. And it is God's good pleasure to give you that kingdom. Consider what it means to have, to understand this phrase, good pleasure. It is God's good pleasure to fulfill his desires in blessing his people. It makes God happy to bless his people. Sometimes we, we get the idea that God is up there looking down over his glasses, 
sneering at all the work that's being done. And certainly there are days where certainly God does look down and is angry. But when it comes to His children who are safe and secure in Jesus, you have only God's pleasure because of Jesus. Not because of you, because of Jesus. You have only blessing, no curse. Christ took the curse. You have only joy and no wrath. Christ took the wrath. And so it is God's good pleasure to bless you. Ephesians 1, 5 and 9, Paul writes that God has predestined us to adoptions as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. It made God happy to adopt you as his child. And he knew what he was getting when he adopted you. He made known to us a mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself. It made God happy to give you the, re, the, the, the mystery of his will. It, it made God happy to give you the Bible to show you his glory in Scripture, to show you his plan. See, if God can do that, if God takes pleasure in doing that, will he not provide for us? Both now and for eternity. See, does God not know more than you do? 1 Peter 1 tells us that we have trials for a little time. That word, that phrase little time means from death, from life to death. (laughs) See, our life is a vapor. And we will have trial because of sin. And God will take those trials and use them for good to refine us and make us more like Jesus. The perspective really comes in verse 33. Where Jesus uses hyperbole, he's, he's exaggerating here. He's saying, sell all that you have and give alms. He doesn't expect you to, to sell all that you have and live in abject poverty. What he is saying is, if God is going to provide for you, don't hoard. Don't hang on to everything. Don't store up. Uh, remember the, the, the passage from last week where the farmer built bigger barns and God says, your life is required of you. Don't hold on to everything and let others live in want. We should trust God to meet our needs. And perhaps God will use you to meet the needs of others. See, the church, the, the early church in Acts did this well. In Acts 2.45 and 4.34, they sold their possessions and their good. They divided them among all as anyone who had need. So let's store for ourselves treasures in heaven. You hold on to the temporary. But if we had the right perspective, we would not do that. 1 Peter 1.4 says, We have an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. That's the inheritance. That's the great gain. Not having enough food or clothing... And we have, in America, we have so much. Yesterday, uh, I, went, I went to Aldi, I came back, and I was going to put things away. And you know what I found? I bought stuff I already had. So I had to reorganize the pantry. I got through one shelf and quit. We have too much. If you need barbecue sauce, I got about five bottles. Come, come over and grab it. Okay? But the reality is we have so much, and then we worry, oh, I better grab it. It's right here, right? 
I used to tease my mom as a kid. Well, you have all, look at all this stuff you have. Well, now I get it. You don't do it on purpose. It just sort of happens, right? But we should not be hoarding on purpose for the purpose of thinking. If we don't get it, well, we may lose it. I don't have enough. I don't have enough. In Christ, we have all that we need, and he will provide our needs. Jesus says that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The treasure that is spoken of there is that was what is of an exceptional value, what you place your hope on. Now, the word heart here is very specific. It's the source of a person's spiritual life. It's, it's really what you're thinking about. This is when I do counseling. I tell my counselees, I want to know how you're thinking because that's where the battle takes place. If I know how you're thinking then I can help you understand where you're failing. If you're thinking Scripture, you'll be victorious because that's what God promises. See, the reality is if God is your treasure, if God Himself is your treasure, your heart will be filled with truth. Your life may still be difficult with circumstances because we know that blessed are the persecuted. We have trials. But if God Himself is our treasure... We will war against worry and we will be victorious. If our treasure is prosperity, our hearts will be filled with covetousness. And if our hearts are filled with with, with trying to go after peace and comfort, guess what's going to happen? Our hearts will be filled with worry because we'll never have enough. Let me leave you with Jesus' words. In Matthew 6, 34, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for today is its own trouble. We worry about all kinds of things, even tomorrow. And yet God's grace is sufficient for today. So Jesus explains to his disciples that they cannot improve their lives by worrying They can't worry about their food and increase their food. They can't worry about their clothing and increase their clothing. They can't worry about their life and increase their lifespan. But rather they must seek the kingdom of God, make God the object of their worship and their search, and God will graciously supply all of their needs. So what are we to do with worry? With God's gracious provision, I, I think there are three simple yet important actions for us all to take to overcome worry. See, number one, worry is a, is, a lack, is a result of a lack of faith in God. Understanding that we all have room to grow in this, right? We all have room to grow in the area of worry because we will worry if we put our lives on autopilot. It's sort of our default setting. And if our hearts are just going to go on autopilot, we're going to worry and we're going to be in a frenzied state and we're going to cause others around us to be frustrated. Because... We're worrying. If we are worrying, our eyes are not on Jesus. They are on ourselves and on our problems. We begin to ask ourselves questions such as, will God handle my problem? See, the problem with worry is it makes the problem bigger than God. That he can't handle it. He's not strong enough. Will God Abandon me, and will I have to fend for myself? 
All these questions come from a faith that must grow. But second, and more importantly, the way for our faith to grow is for our soul to be properly fed and nourished. The Word of God is how we nourish our soul. God's Word is life. And yet we turn to all the other gurus out there and self-help books and, and counseling and psychology. Help me with my worry. And here's God's Word. Seek first the kingdom of God. And all these things will be added unto you. And worry will be dealt with. We have to discipline ourselves to listen to the right people and the right things. Perhaps for us who drive much, we put the Bible on tape or put a good Christian podcast on or, or as I've been doing this week, just listen to really good Christian music. I'm not talking about the hip stuff. Sometimes the old stuff is the best stuff. Let the words, the truth that are based upon Scripture wash over you and comfort your heart. Not because of an artist, not because of a beat, because of God's truth that is communicated in the song. So we end up worrying about life's circumstances because our souls are not feasting on God's promises. We are no longer looking upon the provider. We're looking at our problem, and we must reverse that. And focusing on God's Word does exactly that. And finally, worry is a battle we will fight the rest of our lives. So armor up, gear up, pull out the sword of the Spirit and get busy. And this can be exhausting, especially when your emotions are so powerfully strong in this. See, some of us, emotions, it's they're just so powerful and it's hard to fight against them. Emotions can feel so real that it's, this is the truth of my life. Emotions are just this. They will change. I like to use the example of a sporting event. I remember uh, when the Cleveland Indians were in the World Series in 2016, Game 7. Remember that crazy game? Down. Rajay Davis hits a home run way up. Cubs come back, score a run, way down. You get a couple guys on, up, oh, game over, we lose, down. That's emotions, that's just life. Will you listen to your emotions or will you listen to God's infallible, perfect, inerrant word? Will you trust the God who has never failed? Who will you believe? And finally, as we come to the table this morning in communion, is Christ enough? Has what he done on the cross sufficient for you? So my fellow strugglers, when it comes to worry, recognize you must grow in faith. And God gives great grace there. His grace is sufficient, 2 Corinthians 12.9 says. If God would tell the Apostle Paul no, he'll tell us no too. But if he'll give the Apostle Paul grace, he'll give you grace as well. John 6, 27, Jesus tells his disciples, Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life. Life is more than food on earth, and the body is more than clothing. May we set our hearts and our minds on Jesus this morning. Seek after him and allow God 
to add all these other things to you. And by the way, when you do this, God will work in ways that you will never be able to explain. You will have testimonies and stories that others may even think you're lying. And yet you know your God has done it all. Because the reality is this. On my best day, I can't provide the way God can. I can't even come close. So let's search for the food that does not perish. Let's pray. Father, as we come this morning, prepare our hearts now for the table. I ask that you would give grace to those of us who continue to struggle with worry. So thankful we have a high priest who sympathizes with us and yet is perfect, sinless in every way. Tempted to take circumstances into his own hands and he relied upon you, Father, to provide. May we grow in this area. May you grow our faith and may you receive great glory through our obedience. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.